We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my mom? Digital pen hard at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. I'm Brent Satoris, and today I'm joined by the amazing Marty Weintraub, um, founder of AimClear, which, I mean, really is undisputed as being one of the top social media companies in the world, and really recognized as one of the biggest experts in social media. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy here that, you know, was personality of the year. Uh, I think you speak at just about every conference. I was thinking about it today. I was like, man, if I made a conference up tomorrow, Marty would have spoken at it a year ago. I mean, you've really just, uh, you know, been out there, you know, uh, speaking like crazy. And I don't, I don't know how you do anything else. But, um, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, a personal friend of mine, and I'm excited to talk to you a bit today. Ah, the pleasure is mine. The pleasure is mine. Um, I'm, I'm putting my hands together in a little prayer thing in front of my chest and bowing over with my eyes shut going, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you were my hero before anybody heard of me in the social media world when you were digging and completely using forums to serve customers and to get your clients and your own brand forward. So the pleasure is mine, sir. Well, today, you know, it's an interesting thing because, you know, we both started in a lot of different places, but one of the areas we both gravitated to um, over time was Facebook. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, Facebook quickly became the, the, the social brand that made social media popular to the masses, right? It was, it was the breaking point for us uh, with social media. And, um, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of things that have changed. Um, you, you really talked a lot about psychographic targeting for, for many years, and I I think that you were one of the only people I ever knew that really focused on that area, and it was such a valuable area. But over the last like year or so, I've noticed you've started talking about these quote unquote. I, I don't know the the best wording for it, but the these these third party audience retargeting cookie pools seems like a long word. Um, but you've been focusing on this a lot lately, and, and and I'd like to ask you to kind of speak to that a little bit of what is it. What is it that you know, you're doing with it right now? We first saw it actually in the B2B sector, surprisingly enough, where we targeted lead generation to trade shows and prominent publications and um, um, hashtags for chats and thought leaders and vertical interests and education, o occupational psychographics. And we found that in those relatively limited spaces where an audience might be 30,000 people or 25,000 people or 3,800 people, that we could effectively curate them as owned audiences. What that means is if there's 27,406 people who fit a very specific job description and I'm driving them into a landing page for lead gen, I can cookie the ones at the audience level, at the class level, by verticals, and then do whatever I want with them until we're done with them. <laughs> I can run search campaigns to them. I can retarget them as an audience. I can filter it additionally and customize content to suit it. Um, so 
And to answer the question, our first understanding of it came with audience where we went, yep, $16,400 and we'll have all $16,400 and we'll have all 20,006 of them having consumed content. And who cares if only 8% of them convert? Because I own them for a year if I want to until we prove that owning that audience works or doesn't work. That's defensible marketing, Brent. Because if you own that audience and you just do whatever you want to them for a while, run search campaigns to them, follow them in banner space, follow them in Facebook, so whatever. This, this fits in line with like retargeting. But when when did you start kind of uh, when did you start taking emerging like the demographic stuff in social with the third party you know tracking? When did that like start to make sense? And when did you start exploring that? Uh, well, what I could tell you is when I started exploring it, it was hard to present and people didn't understand. At MozCon in 2012, I, get a, I did a keynote-length um, uh, speaking engagement. And if you Google on Marty MozCon 2012, you'll find that post where literally Rand, came, Rand Fishkin came out at the 5-0, the 50-minute mark, and sat down to do damage control. And his exact quote was, Marty... We all sense that you're onto something here that is going to impact our lives greatly, and it's really important. We looked at the audience and said, raise your hand if nobody understands what the fuck Marty's talking about. <laughs> he literally <laughs> said that to 800 people at MozCon, and like about half the audience. Anyway, we talked about it. All I was trying to say during that talk was if I drive someone into my website for the keyword Nikon binoculars, I only have to retarget the ones who make a bunch of money and like birding or opera. And I could tailor my creative that way. Reciprocally, I was trying to say that if you drive someone in who reads Inc. Magazine, who makes $100,000 a year and purchases business marketing services by the Epsilon um, targeting object, that I could curate that and then continue to operate on them. It's a brand asset. It's a brand asset, just like a, uh, um, Bill Hunt and Mike Moran were famous for saying that when they worked at IBM, who got the brand terms, Brent? I mean, who, <laughs> IBM, which unit gets the brand terms down in the PPC? And the answer is, like, whoever is going to lose their job first, and then it's a step, like, so being the marketer is an arbitrator, when you think of audiences that are, like, different sizes, it works at all scales, actually, um, when you think of psychographic audiences like that, they're an asset too. Who gets, who gets all the doctors who um, manage a 12-person practice at a certain income level in a certain demographic community, et cetera? That's a brand asset that can be curated to prove your marketing works or not. And I mean, it, it, it falls in the line with why people sell data to begin with, right? I mean, it's the same value proposition for being able to curate your own audience is, is, is almost creating the, the same list that, you know, in previous times we would go out and have to buy, right? Yeah, and people squander massive amounts of their own audiences too. For instance, re remember, we're looking at analogies for curating audience-based cookie pools coming from anywhere and anywhere at the top of the funnel. It works for search. Hey, how about if you drive in your $14 keywords to get 8% conversion that have um, limited scale or great scale or whatever? How about if you curate those expensive keywords as a separate retargeting segment? Um, so you, everywhere you follow them, the keyword is attached. How about if when you retarget it, if it's at scale, because 
of course, scale is the enemy of specificity, <laughs> uh, or specificity is the enemy of scale. Um, like the more specific you get, the less there is. But say there's scale, there's no reason you can't retarget that keyword into Facebook with additional filters. It, how much you can filter each hop um, is contingent on scale and money. Um, think of retargeting as the second targeting hop. But you're, you're not even talking purely about you know, just creating your own audience pool. You, you often mention companies like uh, Datalogic or, or third-party data sources that you end up actually pulling in in combination to the pools that you've created yourself. Is that, is that correct? Mm, yes. Yes, technically that is correct. Think of it like this. Um, you can access data logics in about 12 different machines, 20 different machines, including inside of Facebook. In Facebook, you can layer data logics data on top of Facebook data. Um, they're, they're, when, when you're in Facebook and you're targeting Facebook users in the Facebook network, you could do that with Facebook data. Or you could do it with data logics data in Facebook's partnership with data logics. Um, and what makes a psychographic amplification platform robust is how you can layer them. For instance, there's only one wild card in Facebook, the interest bucket, and everything else is presets. So, you, so um, like here's an example. Like say, here's an example of using third-party data inside of Facebook to target users. Say you're marketing a small restaurant, right? Um, so when it comes to content amplification, which is going to put or organic-looking shit in front of users' faces, and they're going to not only react um, as well as organic, in some cases they're going to react better. Oh, and by the way, they'll see it, which they wouldn't have to a great extent if it was only organic. So to market that restaurant, root the behavior. Like, like root the behavior. Every persona needs to be rooted in one behavior that's very specific and as and as vast as possible, as much scale. So there's a data logic segment inside of Facebook called mid-range restaurants slash non-quick serve, which is MasterCard data that data logics has, which means individuals who are high spenders at mid-range restaurants. It's anonymized MasterCard aggregated transaction data, and it's badass, and there's 14.4 million people. Um, then you go on to Facebook data, and you layer it, you clarify it, and you look for active words like eating at good restaurants, culinary tourism, like tourism. Because um, if you're doing tourism, then you're active dining out with. You have to be careful about exactly which combination of words you use when you target eating out because there are some false signals there. But if you go eating out with, eating out at, um, city food tours New York, um, so if you start with a, a segment that's like data logics where it's really focused and there's money behind it and serious intent, like that's intent, that is social intent, and then you clarify it by active filters like playing, buying, selling, doing, going to, trying, spending time, traveling with, watching, attending, active words, um, um, and then you can segment even farther by credit card usage or net worth or now Facebook gives liquid net worth, <laughs> liquid net worth, which means they have that and it's cash from, I don't wonder where they get that, um, or jobs or any further clarification. You and know, and I've always been blown away by like the length, like you start out with it and it's like, all right, cool, I can see MasterCard data. And then before you know it, you've like scaled down a line of thought where most people would have trailed off, you know, after, you know, the first 
two segments and you're like 25 segments later and, and converting you know this data it's 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 impressive i have to ask you on a personal note marketing aside when was the first time can you remember one of the first times that you toyed with this and had it really take off and 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 tell me a little bit about that how what how it felt what it was like because those are always the funnest things for me that aha moment where you realize you're on something Oh man, I'm going to write down in some journal that that makes me feel joyful. <laughs> that makes me feel joyful. Um, I know exactly when it was. It was Christmas 2007. Um, the Facebook ads platform had been out for like three weeks, or I, I, it, like they were launching it in limited amounts in like October that year, and they'd been buzzing about it since like um, SES New York at the beginning of 2007. Anyway, um, and my client, which um, at well, my my employer at um, when. By 2007, it was my client, um, but my previous employer um, at the time um, was an, was an audio recording college, and there they were there were big keywords like audio recording school or um, music music recording college or things like that. Like it was an audio recording, and the credit card ran out. Like it wasn't my credit card, and it was Christmas, so like I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Like there was no, so I I couldn't run AdWords, and we were spending a lot of money by then. I mean, this is a big SEM account. And so I had Facebook ads, and this is an audio recording school or a music college or however you want to think about it. Um, and I started messing with Facebook ads myself and targeted boys who were seniors in high school who were single, um, liked playing guitar in a band or singing in a band or want to be a rock star or literal things like recording and interested in recording engineer and, um, and the music MIDI production softwares of the day and the publications that they read and geeky names for transcriptions and all the inside shit about being in a band. And um, it just crushed the CPA and it was at scale too. Like we just went, great, let's leave search off for a while then. That's just great. Um, and then the one-two punch of them, the, the one-two punch of them were impressive. Um, we couldn't retarget yet at that time, but we, um, when we turned search back on, we ran it to the same pages of content we had been amplifying. It was cool. Like it was radical. That's it awesome. Was, that early to be able to not, you know, and I like the fact that it's not only, hey, it's working and social, but how do we bring that social ba knowledge back to, you know, what we're doing with uh, search, right? And I remember, you know, same time period, 2007, I used to get those, those questions that people would say, like, how is social going to help my search? And I used to always say, no, you're asking the wrong question. You need to ask a question of how can your social help your search, right? You know, yeah. how can your search help your social, yeah. right? You know, and it was like you know there's 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 a lot of that and i love those stories so i think that's really cool that it's like one of those stories where you're like ran out of money couldn't do what i had to do made it work and boom <laughs> here you are open a whole world a whole career a whole company you know direction um i i love those stories i love that story it's great i gotta tell you a, a really interesting postscript to that because i think you'll you'll enjoy it um, then we started the difference. Remember, social Facebook was highly viral mm -hmm. internally at the time. Everybody could see everything. Like it was insane, and it was still a high proportion of college students. I mean, it wasn't until 2008 where we noticed that there were like hundreds of thousands of people over age 50 that liked Las Vegas. <laughs> anyway, um, like um, so the. 
later that early in early in 2008 as we integrated the creative and the landing pages and what, who are we sending to content we got very aggressive about running our search paper click into facebook page post detail pages as the landing page to see how see the difference in attributable conversion um, if we started them in the social experience and not only did it work, but it brought their parents into that stuff, it brought their friends in, it brought all the people who like their bands. Like it, it, was, it was galvanizing to where we went, yeah, you know, we'll run direct response until we get our leads for the month, then we'll turn it off and socialize all the rest. And it, it, was, it was really cool. Like, like, and even today, um, Anytime you drive anybody into a social system that is properly targeted from psychographics in that community, from psychographics in another community, i.e. the Facebook page post ad that goes to a tweet or to plus, or so actually you can't run a Facebook page post into a Google plus post detail page. It's the only <laughs> thing you can, you can run search into page post. You, anyway, like that whole cross thing. Well, I, they never get along. They're not... <laughs> I, I, I will say. I guess if uh, Yahoo wasn't stealing Google's employees, I mean, uh, if Facebook wasn't stealing Google's employees, they wouldn't have so much tension. <laughs> you know what's kind of mind bending? You know who um, one of the biggest players in the data space is right now? Oracle. Oracle's buying up the most important um, data, or some of the most important. They own Blue Kai, they own Data Logics. I think it's like it's a like, restructuring of their focus. Well, I mean, if you own a cool database program and you own the, the data, another company to watch is Newstar. I want to ask you a challenging question because me and you have, uh, you know, we're aligned on a lot of things, but I think, I wouldn't say we disagree on an area, but there's one area where I focus kind of heavily, which is more on organic promotion, right? I've always been, and, and that came back to kind of the dig thing, right? The early days, it was, you know, everybody was paying for things, everybody was gaming, and so there was this concept of like not gaming equaling the, the term organic, right? Um, and, and I think that, you know, paid is a different um, beast. It's not like the gaming beast that, you know, that organic used to kind of separate. Um, but you often say things like, you know, um, organic efforts alone are not worth it, but you need to have social amplification, you know, and social amplification is better than organic. And I, I want to get a clarification from you just on what your thoughts are on organic campaigns um, versus amplification and the combination of them both? What an awesome question. So first, there always needs to be organic everything, and we always need to take everything we can win with it. And there's amazing reasons to do organic, a continuum of reasons. You know, if you're a mortgage company, you're sitting on the wall to try to keep people from going to the Better Business Bureau or a pissed-off consumer. And if you're Martha Stewart, you're doing a different thing. And there's always a thing that you do and a level of outreach that you choose, a level of content that you create, and there, you need to be doing that. And here's why. First, because life is organic. I mean, as much as it is paid, like life, life are the life. It's an analogy for life. Like there's the free things that happen, and there's the paid things that happen. And um, paid is worthless unless you have everything that you need there for an organic win. Like you can't wrap a turd up in a bow and expect anybody to open it past the second time like you just you can't you can't wrap a turd up in a bow and um if you don't have the organic acumen then there is no paid if you can't create content that matters then there is no paid 
Last time I checked, a landing page is content. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of all of it, there's strategy. Like, I'm going to sell snow to Eskimos, so what am I going to do? I know, we'll verticalize it. We do colored snow. We'll tell the, the boy Eskimos that red snow makes the lady Eskimos, you know, hot. And we'll tell the lady Eskimos that blue snow makes the boys surly. And we're going to verticalize it. And we're gonna, that's not about Facebook or Google or anything. That's like a strategy. Then we go, well, we... We need to engage our audiences and we need to create this content and a certain percentage of the people are going to see it and we're going to judge the reaction and we're going to get this, we're going to get this, we're going to get this. And then we realize that in the ecosystem, that's how these platforms and communities and engines and all monetize. And so we take that goodness and go get more out of it with more focus. There's, there's little enough free distribution in search and social that excellent content can be missed. It could be a news cycle. And what we know about organic is that there is rarely false positives. If something is hot, it's hot, man. And you can predict on that stuff being hot. That's, that, this content is going places. And if we amplify it, it'll win. There's rarely false positives. There are often false negatives for lack of scale. And so you create that special piece of content, you do it well with organic, and you get some out of it and you wonder if you can get more, or you get a lot out of it and you wonder if you can crush it by amplifying it to morning show producers who work at MSNBC or Good Morning America, um, or, and, or even more important, anytime you have a piece of content that you believe in not to take off, it's kind of silly to make important content investments of thought or time or both and just take the no from the universe as the definite because there are rarely false positives and often false negatives for lack so, of distribution. So essentially what you're saying, you know, um, you know, to kind of summarize it down to, to, to my view, you know, it's kind of like organic is essential, but if you're not amplifying what is already working on organic, then you're just giving up the opportunities. Yeah, you're leaving stuff on the you're 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 not um you're not proving that the content that just didn't work should have not worked and or couldn't have worked and you're not getting all that you can get out of um social because the reality of social is that wrapped up in the beautiful book, the, the beautiful wrapper, the beautiful wrapper of organic and everything that matters to organic there is amplification to, to customers and influencers and financial stakeholders and, and this diverse, like, like it's genius. And, and it would also match up similarly with if you're not, you know, really utilizing, you know, these cookie pools and this data, then you're really not getting all you can get out of paid. Right, right, right. And it's like, we're peanut butter and chocolate, man. Like I'm in awe of what, of what the real organic, the other word for organic social is effective content. Like, <laughs> exactly like, right. like you Doing folks, it right. <laughs> yeah, you folks really call it whatever. What's the difference between dig and Facebook? Like whatever, it's a more modern tool, but it's the skills that make you, you yeah. and the way you think about like at the end of the day, marketing is about matching up the intrinsic, deep rooted value of your product vertically to audiences that want it and need it in a way that interprets it, that pushes their buttons emotionally or demystifies or um, otherwise empowers or includes. And um, 
um, they're, they're, the paid thing, I know I talk a lot about nobody sees your stuff. That's like statistically compared to sure, who that sure, is targeted. Sure. Um, like I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for, for um, the, the ethics behind organic. Like, so, so I have, I have uh, you know, the thing that I, I love about all of this is that it's very, you know, look, the whole psychographic thing has always been very interesting to me. The third-party cookie pools, the amplification, I think all of that to everyone sounds awesome. But I think the one problem that people have is we talk about things kind of at a high level. We get excited and we're like, you know, because we're kind of, we know the different steps from the A to the Z, right? So we kind of tend to skip to W. It's like, you know. Oh, that's interesting. um, The one thing that I want to ask you is, is if you were going to talk to a relative who was, you know, had a small page they set up and you were at Thanksgiving dinner and they were like, you know, I just don't quite understand how I can get more out of my Facebook ads. And you didn't have the time to say, oh, well, I'll do it for you. What would you tell somebody in a matter of a couple minutes that a couple basic things they could do uh, in, in basic language too, to say, this is how you could do better amplification tomorrow? Um, so that's a Wow, that's good. The answer is is that the turnkey functions inside of Facebook where you can easily dial this stuff in, you still have to know how to create the audience. And there's no tools that automatically figure out what the audience is. There's easy on-off switches for preset audiences. Okay, so the first thing in the three-sentence version is I'd say, hey, mom, hey, dad. <laughs> I'd I'd put that stuff on your Facebook page with a picture that's the right size, the right way, so clicking anywhere, send people to your website, and then um, run inexpensive ads to small groups of people um, with great targeting. I I could get even simpler. Put really cool stuff on your Facebook wall and, um, and run ads to really focus people that engage, friend you on Facebook, and, um, and um, go to your website. The, the problem is, is that as Facebook still hasn't figured out how to inject like that kind of artificial intelligence into targeting, I think that if I had, objectively speaking, I would tell them to use Retrocket. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I, I don't want to promote a product. like It didn't even enter into my mind as we came into this interview, but we're trying to solve that problem by injecting a human being that knows things like I know in the process and then giving you presets inside of Facebook. Because if you use Retrocket, which is an inexpensive tool, you um, get people to make your targeting. Well, I was just going to ask that. I was going to say the expense thing. Most people, you know, in the average market, you know, they don't mind spending $50 on cigarettes and beer for the month. But if you ask them to spend, you know, $19.99 for a tool that could help them make money, they kind of go, oh, my God. You know. Well, let's talk about the economy of this thing. It's, really, it's an interesting conversation well past our tool solution. I'm an agency like Aim Clear. What do we start at? Like $6,000 a month? I mean, it goes up to like $100,000 a month more. Like agencies that do this stuff really well are extremely expensive. And independent people that do it and charge a reasonable amount are non-existent. Even independent people who are great are non-existent. Um, so you, um, at the end of the day, there's, there's barriers to entry for ma and pa for sure. And it's largely the territory of the enterprise and mid-sized business. Um, so 
it, like you could look at something that costs you a couple hundred bucks a month and then a thousand dollars in media spend and compare that to your yellow page cost of the past or whatever, sure, sure, or sure. Thomson Reuters selling you a search program. There's, a, there's always some marketing expense and this is just a, a, mo- you know, a modern version of the transition of where you're spending your dollar. The, the trouble with it is, is that it requires really excellent... You, listen, it's the turd in a bow theory. Like you could have a tool that amplifies your Facebook post to key, posts to key psychographics that real sharpshooters define, but that still doesn't tell you what to say about your product. And that's back looping around to the organic piece again. Like organic is a metaphor for for, for, for quality for, and, and content and PR. Yeah. Like no. PR people, like I love having like half a dozen PR people on our team because these people know what to say. Right. <laughs> they know what to say. Like, and so, so, um, so the, I, the, the real advice would be, you know, you know, learn from your activities and, and, and pick the easy wins that you notice from the results that you're getting from your, your quality organic kind of engagement really comes back to the, if you're going to spend money, use it in, in, you know, early, if you're spending early money, use it as an amplification, identify what's working and amplify it. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. I I might add that that's, that's, um, that's no different than any generation of marketing in the history of marketing. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't get your shit around on the printing press or on the town square enough, so you buy a display ad in the newspaper, or you can't shout to enough sh- shout to enough people who walk by on the streets, so you buy a radio ad. Like, I mean, amplifying content—they've been doing it since megaphone sprint. Marty, you have so much information. Um, you know, uh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, man. Um, I was just saying the other day, I really wish we could sit down and, and share a beer. You know, I was thinking about you the other day. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to follow you, they want to get information. Can you, you know, I, and I know you have a lot of good people at the company. Can you just list off a couple people that they should be following and also some, you know, places they can find you? Yep. Manny Rivas. At Manny Rivas. Super cool. Manny's... um. A badass marketer has cool things to say. Follow him on LinkedIn is his channel, and he tweets. Um, Mary Morud, M-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-U-D, Mary Morud. She's amazing. I love um, Mary. She's I really, love Manny too, but I, you know. Mary's a really talented um, marketer. There's some um, up-and-comers at our company that are pretty cool, Chris um, and Megan D. No, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll send out um, some contact information for us and following. And of course, aimclearblog.com, A-I-M-C-L-E-A-R blog.com is our, is our always blog. Always good, always good posts there, definitely. Um, so look, I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me. I'm really hoping maybe we can do another one of these in the future. I, I really enjoy talking with you. It always uh, expands my, my mind and makes me think about things in a proper way. So thank if you, you again don't- for joining me. If one thing to consider, you're welcome, and one thing to consider would be the next time we do this, I would enjoy the privilege of interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, anytime, man. My, my, right. I would be happy to. Thank you, Marty. Thanks for Thanks. joining me. All right, have an awesome day. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.